And we're back just to talk about the stories for this week. <clears throat> really quick, I found some cool cheat sheets. I don't know. This was like the week for cheat sheets. There's an OWASP cheat sheet and a Packet Life cheat sheet because I just love cheat, seat, cheat sheets so much and I wanted to try and say cheat sheets seven times fast and I failed at it. So go get your cheat sheets. Cheat, cheat, cheese, cheat, cheese, cheese sheets. Yes. So those are cool because we all need a cheat sheet. What I really wanted to talk about was re-enabling JTAG and debugging the WRT120N. Larry, did you see this post from Craig? I did. Oh, it's just, he's my hero. I have such a man crush on Craig. It's so cool. Yeah, and uh, conveniently in that box of uh, Linksys routers that I got from you, there happened to be one of these things in it. <clears throat> it's just so, I mean, they disabled JTAG in hardware, yep. right? By not connecting one of those jumpers, right? Yep. And... He re-soldered that jumper back together and did all kinds of crazy stuff. He said he desoldered the flash chip and overriding the bootloader. I mean, it was just so cool. The whole post is just awesome. I mean, the dude is persistent, if nothing else. It seemed to me like a lot of work for, I don't know how much benefit you get by re-enabling JTAG and debugging. I mean, I guess. He'd already hacked his device six ways to Sunday, but um, now I guess he's hacked it seven ways to Sunday. And it's yeah. just... But what's cool, what I like about it is like, okay, yeah, that's a Wirt 120N, whatever. But showing his process in these blog posts and showing um, it, you know, his thought process and how he did certain things, you can apply this to other similar platforms or even not so similar platforms. Like His work is, in my mind, transferable to a lot of different devices. Now, not 100%, of course, because all devices are different, but I, I like his thought process and how he goes through these tutorials especially when he talks about cracking the Linksys encryption, in quotes. Mm. Um, and he said it took him longer to write the post than it did to break the encryption. It turns out to be a simple XOR, which is awesome, or, or not. Yep. That's excellent. Excellent so, for Craig. Yeah, not so excellent for Cisco. Or Wait, they sold Linksys to Belkin, right? Did they? I think it's, I think it's, it's Belkin now. Yeah, Cisco are rid of them. Yeah. Yikes. So it's Belkin's problem now. The Wirt 120 is an older router, too. It is. It is. Not to say that any of the newer ones are any more secure, because we can actually segue into the Linksys worm called the Moon. This is a really interesting attack on a Linksys router. It looks to me, and Johannes Ulrich from the SANS Internet Storm Center had a great post where he was analyzing it. He didn't give the name of the vulnerable CGI, but what he did show to me looked like that there's a back door somewhere in the firmware. Um, they use the username of admin with this uh, kind of weird, complex password. And my only thought is that that has to be some kind of backdoor password that's built into the firmware. Um, but it, it, so they use that to break in, or to actually log into the router, right? And then once they're authenticated, they can use another CGI script to launch a command injection attack that ultimately uploads some binaries that um, were put there to scan for port 80 and port 8080 on the internet. Mm. And that massive scanning is kind of what got them caught. And it looks like Johannes makes mention of a honeypot system that they had that caught one of these break-ins. Um, and, and that's how they got the information in which he published. Nice. For, so you know, Paul, the link to that article is, uh, is broken. 
Yeah, I'll jump fix that. There's a lot of weird characters in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's really funny, Paul, because I, I thought you actually said that you were sexually segueing into a backdoor right then. So I am I am actually sexually excited by those all of those articles on invented <laughs> devices. It's kind of like like Krieger. Yeah. If you've watched Archer before. I had the Krieger reaction. The Krieger Very reaction. Nice. Very nice. Johnny Bench called. Hey, so uh, what happened to Allison tonight? I guess she's not in, huh? Uh, <laughs> she said she was going to dial in via Skype, but we haven't heard from her. Yeah. She's my favorite person on the show. I don't know about you guys. but <laughs> Wow, Paul, did you hear that? <laughs> you know, it's not nice to play favorites, Joff. <laughs> okay. Joff, uh, well... is, is your Skype connection okay? I can't, I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What? I bought the premium. I don't yeah, understand. I bought the premium. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so what so are the Paul, stories? What, yeah. What about this uh this NTP reflection stuff? Oh, Alice and I were actually talking about that today. Um from what Al- Allison told me the most interesting stuff, like obviously way more interesting than I could have read on the internet, right? She said that you know DNS um amplification DOS attacks are somewhat effective, but the NTP one is more effective because it amplifies something like eight times more than DNS, making this a pretty effective denial of service. Um, And this is not new, right? Like DNS and NTP amplification attacks have been around forever. Um, But I guess ISPs are are seeing an outbreak of it. Um, You know, my kind of thoughts are, you know, if ISPs are seeing this, can they block it? Now, it would be interesting if they were to block NTP altogether um, then no one would know what time it is. But you can look inside the packet maybe and see what is an amplification attack and what's not, but that takes, well, time, right? Uh, one problem is that the vulnerability was, uh, was found, it was reported, it has been patched in recent versions of NTPD. The problem is that not everyone has been upgrading, and in addition to that, you have a bunch of embedded devices, routers, switches out there that for some reason oh, yeah. is also running um, NTP services that are vulnerable to being used in this way. In addition to that, now we are also seeing some research out there that is also showing that SNMP can also be used, and there's quite a bit of SNMP-enabled hosts out there also. So we're kind of closing one door, and there's another one opening. Oh, and speaking of doors... Please don't lock this door tonight. Now, this is another oldie but goodie, right? This simple attack, I believe, hit the Bruce Schneier blog last week, uh, and I've seen it kind of reprinted out there, and I don't think we got a chance to talk about it on the show. But it's a simple attack from an MIT book or article that was written in the 70s where they wanted access to a certain part of the building, so when they were in the building, they put a note on the door that said, please leave this door unlocked. And lo and behold, when they broke in later people had left that door unlocked and they were able to walk right through it. Um, it just shows how vulnerable we all are to social engineering. You know, as humans, we've talked about it before on the show. We have this uh, something in us that just wants to be helpful. Maybe not all the time, but a lot of us inherently just want to be helpful, right? And uh, sometimes that can work against us. So it's way more effective than lockpicking. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, I was hoping you weren't going to leave the NTP story, but okay. Oh, sorry. Did you have more on NTP? 
You done well, with NTP? I, I, I was just. I, I think um, having worked in a space where we were protecting against those sorts of things in my past life, uh, amplification of UDP protocols in particular is um, really a very very hard thing to control, especially if you can land them on a device with a TTL of one. They go straight to the control plane and they 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 crash stuff really quickly. Um, so uh, I was just I was interested in that from the amplification perspective, but also from the uh, perspective that um, beyond rate limiting and controlling traffic, you really can't do much about it. Yeah, if you want to pass that protocol, you're going to be succumb to vulnerabilities in that protocol. I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Right. Oh, Larry's, Larry's gone anonymous on us. He's going into costume. <laughs> Excellent. Larry, you want, to, you want to take another story in, in, in an anonymous light? Did you have a story about Anonymous or? No, no, that it's just really uncomfortable to wear because, well, gets in the way of the microphone, and I have to take my glasses off, and I can't see. And what a such a great look, though. I know it is. It is. Um, where was the other one that? Uh, oh, the uh, Snapchat hack. Yeah. What did you guys read up on this? <clears throat> I just read about it. Excuse me, briefly. That um, Snapchat was somehow being hacked. And the result of the hack was that people were getting pictures of smoothies. Right. Now, I so, like a good smoothie just as much as the next guy, but yeah. no, one, no one's so, going to take that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've heard you liked a good smoothie. I mean, I've seen your porn collection. <laughs> um, um, so it's looking like um, they, it was either a brute force password thing or some random guessing and and all that type of stuff. But the the big thing that's interesting is that uh, they were sending them to what snapfruit.com or something like that. And, and great, you're sending random stuff to uh, some other people. What if it wasn't nearly as um, Nice as a smoothie. You mean like a, a goatsy smoothie? Or wow, those are two words that should never, Those are two words that should never be uttered in the same sentence. Goatsy smoothie. The hilarious thing on the HITB uh, Hack in the Box website, the Google ad that comes up for this story is an ad that says, "Do you have these symptoms? Fatigue, mouth ulcers, bloating." Itchy skin and rashes, white-coated tongue, constipation, or diarrhea. And it takes you to an article from, like, the American Parasite. <laughs> wow. That's some classic Google ads. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and the, the, the big thing that I think on this one is that um, yeah, I, I, that I think Snapchat is, again, coming out with a really bad response to, to what this is all about. Well, likely. I mean, they don't have the best track record, to say the least, about no. responding to this kind of thing. Yep. <clears throat> Hacked x-rays could slip guns past airport security. I bet that makes everyone feel good who travels a lot, like Larry. Yeah, the way I see it is kind of like security theater. Um, how many hackers or terrorist groups are we going to see out there actually spending time to go in and hack this type of equipment, finding the connections and doing all of that extra work. 
where there has already been proved that it's even easier to get stuff through TCA um, in other ways. How many stuff have they not found and how many guns have gone through without them finding them? Yeah, there was like a rash of uh, that kind of guns being found going through airport security for a while. Yeah. I have. Um, I, I just find it like security theater. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's uh, oh, they hacked this piece of equipment that is so advanced that I will let them get um, get guns through. But will it actually happen? Is there an actual risk for it? Have they actually seen? people trying to attack these systems before. So it's kind of interesting. Someone I became friendly with lately is, uh, he's a pilot. I don't know how much I want to say about the conversation we had over several drinks at a bar last weekend, but <laughs> I found out some interesting things. So pilots can carry guns, so they can get, uh, they go through training and they can get a permit to carry a gun on the plane so they can carry it to work uh, and, and have it with them in the cockpit. Uh, at all times. Cockpit. I said cockpit. Oh. And uh, I found a lot of interesting things about... I'll share with everyone after the show. I don't know how much I want to share on the air. But it's, uh, as you know, some of the regulations have changed as far as uh, usage of electronic devices. They yep. got differs per uh, airline. I get to, I get to fly uh, last week back and forth to California. And it was the first time that I had been uh, on one of the flights where it was uh, complete. You can completely use your small electronic device from takeoff to landing. Yes. Is that awesome? It was wonderful. Now, they're talking about allowing cell phone usage. I don't know if we want to go there. Cause yeah, no, definitely not. Phone, but yeah, it's, it's nice not to have to have an actual print periodical. Yeah, the with the other one that was awesome is uh, I got priority because I uh, have status with uh, Southwest. I can go in the, the priority boarding line and you have with the priority boarding line, you have a higher chance of getting select, uh, randomly selected for the pre-check line. I got randomly selected for the pre-check line. No laptops out of bags, no shoes off, none of that stuff. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good thing I got to the airport two hours early, so I had <laughs> yeah. one hour and 59 minutes to wait. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah. Nothing like spending some quality time in an airport. No. Um, what else we got in the stories to talk about? Geoff, you had a couple of stories in there. I did. I put a couple in. Uh, I th the one that amused me um, highly was uh, Microsoft's uh, trying to get family members to uh, help out with the upgrade from Windows XP. This is going to be a big story as Windows XP ages beyond the... Uh, uh, the uh, life cycle of the project and uh, becomes out of date. Uh, it's still a huge installed base. And so how are we going to get away from this? So I don't know. I, I just was slightly amused by the, uh, the article that uh, as Microsoft attempting to use friends and family to uh, help out, help out with the upgrades. So uh, I, I wonder if they're going to offer a friends and family discount to upgrade from XP to a more modern operating system. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's right. Yeah. I don't think, don't think so. Because so that would get people I, I, off XP I'm always, uh, always talking to my wife about this. I have a standing two-hour uh, time limit on any relatives for, uh, for any kind of tech support. And after that, they have to drop their machinery off with me, and they'll, they'll see it when I, when I have the time. That's my standing rule. So. Which sometimes may be upwards of a year. Could be. Could happen. Did you guys want to weigh in on the target breach? I don't think uh, were you guys both here last week 
when we talked about that? I was not. So <clears throat> Krebs had an article that had a lot more information about the actual company that was breached and used as a jumping off point, which I'm still not clear on. Um, it traces back to network credentials that Target had issued to the mechanical company, heating, air conditioning, and refrigerating firm. Um, kind of unclear why they actually needed those credentials, to me anyway. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they should or shouldn't have had um, credentials, and I'm sure there's a lot of details missing, right? But if you're going to monitor those systems, uh, how separate does that need to be? How integrated does that need to be? I'm sure we're missing lots of pieces to the puzzle, but you know, on the surface, we, we <laughs> what we read in the press, um, you know, I start thinking about, well, if I'm going to have someone monitor that stuff, that's all they're going to be able to monitor. Why do they need network credentials? Maybe they need network credentials to get access to a window system that was being used to um, monitor that equipment. So it kind of begs the question is, how much do you, you trust the people that are there to do good in your network and, and be a partner with you? Right, right. And, and you know, Paul, you and I, and uh, probably all of us on the podcast know it, that it only takes one sort of small mistake for something like that to cascade really quickly. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have the vendor subject to a uh, social engineering attack. They, you know, give the password to someone. The password is used to log into systems at the, the HVAC vendor that then scans through the VPN through a VPN connection to find this other system on the other end. They use those credentials to deploy interpreter shell there. They use incognito to dump all the tokens. And sure enough, domain admin has logged into that system. And then they use those against every machine in the domain. And then you've got everything to be able to get everything to get to all those POS systems across the country. So it only takes one small mistake for something like that to cascade. You, we, it's, it's, we've done that time and time again. Well, I, I saw that article as well, Paul, and I think, um, you know, I, I completely agree with Larry, I, I, but I do think it speaks to the importance of um, credential management in organizations as well. I mean, it's, you know, you might have a HVAC vendor or, or whomever uh, come into your organization and, and need access for a period of time, but it's really important to have that access tied to a sponsor, have that access uh, managed in terms of its life cycle, and um, disable those accounts when they're done with. Uh, and you know, it, there's ways to to mitigate those risks. Uh, and um, I'm not, you know, throwing any stones. Maybe that's that's what happened here. Maybe it's not, but uh, it, it's certainly. A big part of it is is that that whole life cycle and process management. Absolutely. Do you guys think PCI should have helped? <laughs> PCI will always provide kind of for like the base that you should strive for as a basis uh, as a base configuration. It's not your end configuration. It's just your bare minimum basics that you should follow. And I think that they actually failed in some of the areas like monitoring. Uh, why are you having your HVAC equipment in the same net, uh, network as your point of sale? Why wasn't that segmented, isolated? Uh, so I think they, they, they were not PCI compliant when you look at PCI uh, strictly there. 
And I think maybe PCI 3.0 starts to raise the bar a little bit. But again, just exactly what Carlos said, it is the absolute bare minimum to things that you need to do. And well, um, I think not to to be you know against any of the the security guys at Target that they're probably trying to do the right thing, but it ultimately comes down to you know PCI says we need to do this. This is what we're going to do, and we're not going to do anything more because it's going to affect our bottom line. And I, I think that may end up happening a lot across a lot of places. Um, and then we have something like this happen. Hmm. Any other stories in there that you guys wanted to? Uh... I like the one about NTLM enumeration over HTTP. That one was, um, I, I, I find it kind of neat. I always find that. Being good at enumeration will save you uh, uh, the amount of time that you spend enumerating will save you a ton of work when you're trying to do the exploitate on um, the exploitation and abuse phase of a pen test. And just being able to use that um, NCE script uh, of the NMAP scripting engine and just being able to pull, hey, this is the DNS server they're using, this is the domain controller, this is the um, uh, the, the domain name and all kinds of information just by scanning all of those web servers that I actually have NTLM authentication enabled. It's quite handy. It's quite, it's quite a neat trick. Yeah, I, I like that article as well. That was like a ooh, flag that, gonna use that on a pen test someday oh, soon. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, there was another article on uh, extreme vulnerability at the edge of the internet. And I have not read the full paper, but the uh, the description that I read was very intriguing. I couldn't do it justice. You got to go read it for yourself. The interesting part to me was written by Paul Vixie, which should ring a bell with people. Well, rang a bell with me because I thought of Vixie Cron. I was like, oh yeah, that's the dude that wrote Cron, <laughs> and, and a bunch of other stuff that runs the internet today. So carried a little more weight, right? Yeah, definitely. You put you put a name like that behind it, and yeah, yeah. So it's really, really interesting. Make sure you go check that out. Right, it reminds me of sort of like the story behind with John about uh, Robert Tapp and Morris. John and Morris got together and had a, had a beer. What? No, no, better than that. You have to get John to tell the story, though. I see. Um, meet the man who hacked Jeopardy with Google searches. Yeah, yeah that was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, which uh, which led me to uh, I actually was reading that right when uh, we were doing some of the interviews with with Paul, which led me to another story about the guy who hacked um, one of the other TV shows in the eighties. Did you see that? No. Oh, so here, well, I didn't get that far down in the article. Okay, well, uh, it was actually in one of the comments. Let me. Uh, I'll pull that up real quick here. And uh, so while you guys talk about that. Yeah. So what was his thing <clears throat> with Hack and Jeopardy? It sounded like he started with a Google search and then started messaging other people who had like done really well in Jeopardy and, and basically like started developing his strategy from there. <clears throat> yes. So that was interesting. Yeah, and you know, basic his basic strategy was to you know change the game up, do things that people don't expect, and uh, sort of stack the odds by going for um, all of those double jeopardy questions, and then just being really, really um, smart about it. Mm. 
So the other one that, that sort of led me to was uh, a gentleman by the name of Michael Larson, who um, uh, completely hacked the uh, game show Press Your Luck um, in 1984. Mm-hmm. Press Your Luck was the one where they had that boop, 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 and you press the button and you tried not to get the whammy. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one, but... Yeah, so the uh, in the in the early 80s, the board had only five different patterns for when the light would go around, and he memorized all five of the patterns. He also used his VCR to uh, to pause the the shows when he was recording them to to write down the patterns, and went through hundreds of episodes to figure out what the prizes were on each one of those boards, and found out that the two largest uh, payout panels that the light could land on um, also uh, never had the whammy that would take all your money and spins away. Uh. <laughs> So he memorized the five patterns and would hit the button uh, right at the right time, and racked up his racked up his bill and uh, ended up with uh, just shy of one hundred and ten thousand dollars in prizes. And did they ever like catch on to him and take the oh, money yeah. away? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But so there was nothing they could do to uh, to prevent it. And so he got to keep the money. He did. That's awesome. He did. Excellent. Any other stories in there you guys want to talk about? Uh, I didn't see anything else there. Oh, Edward Snowden got a bunch of headlines recently, too. We should talk about that. His lead hacking tool, WGET. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's, you know, you use the, tool for the right tool for the right job, right? That's it. And I wonder what, if sometimes you, a mundane application of a good tool is good. I wonder how much he uh, tried to hide himself or if he just kind of let it fly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If he left that default user agent. Right, or didn't do anything. They got whatever they deserved. Yeah. If 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 they didn't see that in their logs or collect it. Right, because, I mean, there's ways to be smarter about uh, crawling. In fact, someone had commented to me. I wrote a blog post about it. I haven't, uh, I got to go back and approve that comment, but. So there's age-old techniques for disguising and, and making it look more like a human's doing the crawling. Now, I'm sure that has impact on the time it takes. Yeah, but, user uh, agent, timing are the two main factors there. User agent's going to be seen in the logs. Another one's timing, where you start seeing a bunch of requests are just fractions of a second away or are one second away are kind of details there. Also, when you're seeing a bunch of requests for a very large period of time, that's also another red flag in your log. So uh, you can break it down into smaller chunks, disparage it times, and just run those smaller chunks uh, with a delay in between requests. And it will kind of go under the radar under most uh, log anal- analysis scripts or tools. Very cool. Um also, he said that uh, he got a bunch of NF- NSA info by stealing a coworker's password. Not just not clear how he obtained the password, other than they say he stole it. So, and the NSA worker uh, quit the job resigned. Interesting. Interesting. So, some new stuff about Snowden. So it's not really <laughs> hacking, is it? I mean, per se. It right? doesn't I sound. Mean, I mean, it's like light hacking. <laughs> light hacking. Yeah. I mean, let's just go get the information that's in front of us. Right. It's uh, you know, almost like a curiosity 
oh, look what I found. Um, so there you go. Excellent. Do you have there the one about Careto, the one that Karspersky mentioned, the malware? No. Tell us about that, Carlos. Yeah, Karspersky recently had a conference over uh, right next door in the Dominican Republic talking uh, about the trends in malware and, and everything around it. And one of the things he started talking about in the presentation was about a malware called Careto that he says that Careto is a Spanish word. Really, it's a Portuguese one, uh, but uh, most of the domains and targets were in Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, what he found very interesting was that the malware is a couple of years old. I think it's from 2007-2008. Uh, they found that it had modules that could be loaded and used against um, OS X, Android, iPhone, Windows, Linux. Um, so the malware is kind of multi-platform. Uh, they they were able to get into the management servers. It is kind of kind of like an interpreter where you can actually load modules and change the toolkit as you see fit, depending on the target, which is quite an advanced uh, advanced persistent threat, or like uh, pure hate likes calling them HIVs, high impact vulnerabilities. Excellent. Another one was uh, that I saw today, a piece of malware that is the first one that is actually checking for Emmet to see if Emmet is present in the system. And if uh, Microsoft Emmet is present, it won't exploit the system. It's a Microsoft zero day that appeared for Internet Explorer 10, I think. Carlos, did you uh, get a sense of how that check is, is occurring? Yeah, the way it is doing it is that it's using JavaScript to load a file. So what it does is puts in the path of the Emmet DLL, and it parses the error message that it gets back. So if it wasn't able to load the file, um, then Emmet's not installed. If we were able to load the file, or I got a permission denied and loading the file, then Emmet is installed, and I won't run my payload, and I won't try to exploit the box. But it's doing it uh, through JavaScript. So that's that's neat stuff. It's going to be interesting to see how that evolves going forward, especially if there are some techniques for, uh, you know, uh, evading uh, Emmet that will will probably emerge as time goes on. Yeah, correction. It's not using JavaScript. It's using Microsoft.xml DOM ActiveX control to try to load the file. Yeah, I, I went searching on the article. I had it. Uh, in my favorites in Twitter. I just kind of saw it like 10 minutes ago. It's for the CVE 2013 3163 uh, that is affecting the Interactive Explorer 10. Yeah, Allison, are you on now? Yes, I'm here now. Hey, how's it going? Oh, freaking time. <laughs> no, I think uh, hey, she was good. trying to chat before. Allison, you, you want to add some more insights uh, being the distributed denial of service expert. Yeah, I see. Oh, you're still there? Uh-huh. What do you oh. want to know? Uh, I, uh, what is the... Up yeah, I'm here. We, Can you we, hear me? Yeah, we talked about the NTP one. What, what was that one all about? You were telling me about it before. Yeah, so uh, the NTP uh, reflection method is pretty bad news for, for everybody. Um, so 
when you're talking about volume-based denial of service, uh, you're probably talking about, uh, what do you call it, uh, DNS reflection, abusing open resolvers. And uh, what happens is when you launch an attack using that technique, it um, sends spoof traffic to a bunch of open resolvers, and then they respond back um, with a larger amount of traffic. So you can use this technique to amplify your uh, bandwidth when you launch a DDoS attack. And so the way this NTP reflection work works is, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Well, the NTP reflection works very similar to the way that uh, DNS reflection works, but the uh, multiplier is a lot higher. So in the news articles, I just posted a link to a write-up that was done by Cloudflare because uh, just recently they saw yet another record breaker, and this one was based on NTP reflection. So when you're doing a traditional DNS amplification, uh, the multiplication factor is about five times, but when you're doing NTP amplification, the, uh, the, it's multiplied by up to 206 times. So that's, wow, that's a, yeah, that's a bigger difference than you had so uh, told me earlier. Yeah. The early ones that I was reading were talking about 58 to 60 times amplification, which is still very significant, but 200 plus is, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a game breaker right there. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, quite, yeah. So if you look on the link that I posted um, onto that Cloudflare blog, it talks about the details. So, I mean, it can be up to 206 times larger. And there's a few uh, conditions that have to be met, but the potential is there. And honestly, I think that this situation is uh, not as bad as it's going to get. Because the thing is, uh, the criminal underground, they only recently became aware of these kinds of attacks. Uh, only with the past few months. Um, the uh, NTP spoofing has been known, but the general consensus is that there are not that many vulnerable servers out there. However, it's pretty clear right now that there are plenty of vulnerable servers able to push a significant amount of bandwidth. So this is going to get worse before it gets better. Now, from a, from a defense perspective, uh intuitively i would think that uh you know doing some decent perimeter filtering filtering on your uh on udp 123 um at least should drop the uh initial vector coming in um in that if you if you're only expecting responses from from certain uh network addresses but you're not going to completely um eliminate the issue because because your filtering may well deny deny your service anyway um, what's your thoughts on that, guys? Well, Angle. this is going to take a coordinated effort to fix this problem. Um, I've read about people finding out that their servers are one of the attacking servers, uh, and I found out some of them seem to be discovering this because their ISP will call them and tell them they're throttling their traffic until these attacks stop. So that is one possible way of doing this. And I mean, generally, I. I don't like the idea of an 
ISP calling someone and saying that, hey, we're throttling your traffic. But in this case, um, there's just a lot of really bad secondary effects that can happen. So um, I think a coordinated effort like this is going to be necessary to fix these vulnerable servers. <clears throat> Very cool. Is there anything else from the group that we want to discuss in the world of security? Or maybe not. Negative. Excellent. We're going to take a short break, come back, and wrap up the show. Wanted to uh, thank everyone for participating in this episode of Security Weekly. That's right, Mr. Paul Pageant was here in the beginning. Fabulous tech segment from Jaffire. Jaffaruzis, as we so lovingly call him. Jaffalama Ding Dong. Um, <laughs> Allison, Carlos, Larry, Jaff, thank you very much for your insights on the stories for the week. We do have brand new Hack Naked stickers that I, I have that we will be distributing at various conferences. And even though I've given Steve a microphone in which he can talk to me, he still insists on using his own form of sign language and talking with... <laughs> no. Does that sign language involve a middle finger? Um, from my end, yes. <laughs> so yes, brand new Hack Naked stickers. We'll have brand new Hack Naked t-shirts. All that's coming soon this year. So, thanks everyone for listening. And Larry, take us out. Over and out.